0: Good day everyone and welcome to Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast, your episode by episode podcast guide through the classic Transformers Generation 1 cartoon and now Japanese anime continuity as well. I am Jeremy Graves and joining me as per usual, my partner in crime, as we delve through the Japanese G1 continuity for the very first time, Mr. Andy Hanley. Good sir, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm I'm doing very well. We're t- to peek through the curtain. We're recording this a few
1: days before Christmas, so I'm currently in my oh god, it's a few days before Christmas mode. But I will try, <laughs> I will try to put that to the back of my mind and think only of Transformers for however long we're here
0: for indeed another double peek behind the curtain for you, everybody for regular listeners if i sound a little bit different to normal it's because i do because i have been very ill recently with just all sorts of sinus infections and other stuff going around so i am feeling worse for wear but i really wanted to get one more episode in the can before we got to christmas and new year by the time you're hearing this it may be long after christmas and new year for all i know so if that's the case hope you had a wonderful time the other peek behind the curtain is that today is a slightly different format, Andy, because normally we would go for the three-episode chunk of discussing things, but today we are focusing on two episodes. That's got nothing to do with the fact that the following two episodes after these is a two-parter, but you never know, it might be. So, good sir, before we delve into all the nitty-gritty and such, general overarching thoughts on what you thought of the episodes we are discussing today episodes 7 and 8 of Transformers Headmasters.
1: They were pretty workmanlike, I'd say for the most part. <laughs> like th- my my favorite thing about these episodes is we get a bit more like Headmasters origin story stuff and while well, I still don't think it's as good as like what the rebirth did in the the you know US continuity, like it's kind of it, it's it's a nice sort of setting the scene and kind of giving us a peek into, like, how all of that stuff came about, which I, I appreciate. Uh, but other than that, these are just a couple of kind of pretty solid episodes that just kind of go through the motions a bit. They, they're very traditional sort of Transformers episodes, really. You know, they have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and that's kind of it. Um, so, yeah, they they, they feel like th- those sort of typical, like, mid-season, you know, this is no multi-part story this is just relatively standalone, but with some little odds
0: and ends smattered in to, to keep your interest. I, I agree. It was nice to delve into the backstory of the Headmaster's War, which we'll get onto in a few moments. And as for the second episode of the day we're discussing episode 8, it's weird. I loved the concept of the episode, but it felt so Monster of the Week. It, it, it's quite insane, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Six Monsters of the Week, perhaps. Yeah. Who, can t- who can say? So, before we get to the episodes proper, if you are joining us for the first time, thank you very much for giving the podcast a try. No matter where you have found us, be it in audio only form or if you're watching the video version on YouTube, do let us know what you thought of these episodes if you are watching them with us. And, disclaimer, as we've said before, we are following the old Metrodome UK DVD release script when it comes to the Headmasters. There are some differences that we have documented in the previous podcast episodes, so we encourage you to go back and listen to those so you understand how we are coming at this but we've said it quite plainly the episodes are all on youtube so if you want to follow us by watching it through that you can do so there andy today's episodes are the four million year old veil of mystery and terror of the six shadows which as we were talking about at the end of the last podcast andy when it comes to episode titles so far headmasters has been phenomenal yeah
1: yeah they're they perhaps overly descriptive but they're also yeah very very good and yeah like i mean it's, it's pretty compelling at like you know d- just a veil of mystery is pretty exciting but a four million year old veil of mystery it's like yeah <laughs> sign me up
0: um so so yeah yeah it's definitely definitely some strong titles here at least so from there let's get straight into this folks it's time to discuss episode seven the four million year old veil of mystery We begin on planet Char, which it's got to be said, Andy, compared to how this planet was looking in season three, and I know we've alluded to this previously, Char has had quite the makeover. It's full of, like, proper built cities and such. It kind of looks like another version of Cybertron at this point.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was literally the first note that I made of like, oh, Charles had an upgrade. Like they've <laughs> they've really, you know, they've really gone all in. I mean, the, the Decepticon ability to build bases incredibly fast continues, I guess, in this <laughs> in, in this whole G one continuity because it seems like wherever they end up, like crash landing, suddenly just like now we've got a really cool base. Now, um, it's kind of why do they even want to take anything else on? Like they can just make a nice planet for themselves. Like who who needs Cybertron? That's all I'm saying. I mean, we've kind of discussed that at this point, that really, they don't really want Cybertron, do they, at this point? No. Well, no. I mean, they more just want to, yeah, blow the thing up. It's like, why don't... You've you've built yourself a nice house. Just, like, chill out and, I don't know, get some... Get Netflix
0: plumbed in and you're you're all set. (laughs) On Char, we then cut to an unspecified location where we have the following dialogue exchange. Galvatron. They're all useless. Can I rely on Anyone? Cyclonus responds with, How about me, Cyclonus? I'm loyal and have never made a major mistake. I, I, c- can we just call that into question? Because I'm pretty sure in the very
1: <laughs> previous episode of this podcast, we were pointing out Cyclonus making a number of major mistakes. So he threw just... a
0: boulder on Galvatron's face. Yeah, I mean,
1: yeah, <laughs> as mistakes in in the presence of your boss go, that's a pretty big one. So it's pretty pretty bold of him to be like, I've never made a mistake. It's like, I'm pretty sure
0: Galvatron remembered that one. I liked Galvatron's response to, to that line, though, which was simply... Loyalty is tactically useless. <laughs> yeah, I feel
1: like, I feel like that, that should be like, because all the Transformers toys on the, their tech specs, everybody had their motto. And I feel like that should have been Galvatron's motto. Loyalty is technically
0: useless. <laughs> Scourge then walks in to announce that, okay, quick pause, quick refresher for folks. In the Japanese continuity, Zarak and Scorponok's names are reversed. So they pronounce it Scorponok at this point in the series, whereas the subtitle script we're following opted to keep with the English convention of Zarak. I will do my best to keep it as one name. Andy, which name would you like me to attempt to keep it at today? I mean, this stuff seems like it's all actually
1: Zarak rather than Scorpionok because we don't see, like, it makes sense that the big scorpion robot is called Scorponok, and this was not the big scorpion robot, so it should be Zarak.
0: We shall go with Zarak, hopefully, from here on. But if I do interchange between the two, apologies in advance. Scourge walks in to announce that Zarak has arrived, which actually annoys Galvatron as he feels he isn't actually pulling much weight either and immediately goes off to meet him. But not before scolding Scourge on the way out. Little additional moment that happens here as well, in that Cyclonus and Scourge start discussing how whenever Galvatron is in a bad mood, it clouds his judgement. I have no idea if that's going to play into things long term, but it's nice to see that they've actually admitted it after so long, Andy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's also kind of notable that, like,
1: even by Galvatron's standard, they're just like, no, he's really grouchy today. He's just like, he's clearly like,
0: hangry or something. <laughs> hangry for Energon. Yeah. We then go to what appears to be a factory of sorts, and which, based on the dialogue we hear, come to find out is actually damaged too. We then have our introduction to Zarak. Well,. His silhouette, because he appears in the form of a shadowy presence with fog around him as well, which I thought was quite convenient. Yeah, I I like I like the
1: idea now that canonically Zarak just like carries a fog machine around him, just to like <laughs> just to keep the mythos going. Like he's just like some kind of wrestler. He's just like now I've got to do got to do my bit, like
0: to fire up the fog machine. Galvatron's coming. Got to got to be mysterious here. Exactly. And so we we have not actually seen Zarak at this point. He is simply just a, a shadowy veil as I have uh, written down in my notes here mm.
1: it's, and it's it's actually legitimately quite cool because there there is like a question of like who slash what is he like is he a robot is he a person is he wheelie in disguise like we don't know he could be any of these things um, and I do actually like that a veil of mystery one might say Um, (laughs) uh, but like I I really enjoy that like for all the kind of goofiness of like why is there fog whenever he's around like I I do like the fact that we don't actually know
0: anything about him or who he is. We then hear Zarak complaining that work is preventing him from getting revenge on Fortress and this annoys Galvatron because as far as he's concerned his revenge has got enough on his revenge against Fortress has nothing to do with him the following dialogue exchange occurs. Galvatron, do you have the will to defeat Fortress? Zarak responds with, look at it from our headmaster's point of view. Which I've got to say, Andy, is the most confusing response he could have gave. (laughs) Galvatron then responds with, don't just talk about it, kill them and satisfy me. Zarak responds with, there's no need to even say it. Which led me to think, why did you have this conversation then? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> look, look, look. Z- Zarek has
1: a lot of fog to get through. <laughs> he just he, he bought he bought a bulk load of whatever what do you even put in a fog machine? I don't know. Um, but uh, he, he clearly bought a bulk load of it and it's just like I need to need to burn through some of this. It's probably like a can. Like a can yeah, of like there's got to be there got to be a case Honestly, I was hoping that you would know the answer to this, Jeremy. I'm a little disappointed that you don't. But uh, well, you, you know we what? I'm going to
0: derail the podcast. Let's <laughs> look up fog machine. Uh, liquid is the first thing that's come up. Like fog machine fluid or liquid. Yeah,
1: I guess. Yeah, I guess it just gets like yeah, heated and dissipates as a gas or something. But yeah, like I've never, I've never thought about <laughs> oh, this no. before. Oh no, oh no, Andy.
0: This has just come up in my search. Most quality machine fluids are sometimes called fog juice. Fog juice. There you go. If you've, if you've learned
1: anything from this podcast, I'm proud to say it's it's the the Star Ghost Word of the Year. Fog
0: juice. <laughs> Even better, I've just found one that's called dense fog juice.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, if, I'm, I, I I'm sure Zarak is all about the dense fog juice. Um, if you wanted a quote for this podcast, you got it. <laughs>
0: So, from here, Zarak then leaves and meets with the Decepticon headmasters in preparation for his new plan. A trait that we also see, adding to his shadowy veil, because one might think maybe it was just in that scene with Galvatron where the fog appeared. No, this is genuinely, as Andy's been alluding to, his thing that he has fog accompany him wherever he goes. So, whenever you see fog in the room, you know that Zarak isn't here. And the reason I mention that is because that's exactly how the Headmasters realised Zarak was in the room, because they saw the fog and went, Oh, Zarak! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I like that they just know. It's like, it kind of ruins the mystery a little bit, where it's just like, oh, yeah, that must have been Zarak's so. <laughs> here. We then hear the narrator say, Some hours later, a report arrives at Cybertron HQ, or Autobot HQ, take your pick, on planet Athenia. We then see R.C. receiving a report that their that their base on planet prom or Prown, depending how the subtitle script felt at that moment, is under attack and ha- are requesting the assistance of Rodimus. The narrator in a later scene described prom as, quote, a sandy planet far to the northeast of Athenia, quote. But Blur then points out that they're actually shorthanded because Rodimus is currently away on Earth overseeing what is written down here is a new energy discovery or like an energy sort of base of some kind. It was a bit difficult to make out exactly. But another interesting little tidbit, which the reason I'm being so granular with this is because, Andy, if we know one thing from having dealt and been fans of anime both personally and professionally here, the tiniest little thing that's mentioned in an anime may come back like 200 episodes later to be vitally important. So I'm making sure to be somewhat granular with this. Yeah.
1: This is true. I feel like Transformers does this less less often, but it does occasionally blindside you. Like, oh, that was actually a point that you were making for a reason rather than just like a <laughs> this sounds cool kind of thing.
0: <laughs> so the interesting tidbit is that Cup says that the Decepticons seem to be regularly attacking Autobot bases when Rodimus isn't around. And I'm wondering if down the line that may come back to play because that was definitely a theme in this episode. But it makes me think... If that's a thing that's been happening that we haven't seen, we should probably be prepared for that to happen.
1: Yeah, there's probably there's probably like a Twitter account that's just like tracking Rodimus's jet <laughs> and it's gonna be a whole thing.
0: <laughs> RC in response to this from Cup says, quote, rather than dwelling on the past, shouldn't we act now? Quote. And Cup's response to that was, don't knock history. History is what makes the future. I mean, he's not, he's not wrong. I was
1: actually i was actually kind of with Cup on this one. It's like, mm. try, trying to be helpful here. Like, I'll,
0: I'll, I'll see having none of it. <laughs> Fortress and the Autobot Headmasters then volunteer to head over and sort out the Decepticons, leaving RC, Cup, and Blur very aware that should anything happen here at the base, they'll have to sort it on their own in their absence. A random additional note now, which play into something a bit later on in this podcast but I, I wonder if you notice this andy the dialogue between the headmasters and rc it kind of felt like the headmasters were trying to flirt with rc did you catch that as well yeah
1: oh yeah yeah there's definitely that was definitely i feel like that was there was a bit of like there was something lost in translation there because like from from what i was the vibe i was getting from the japanese was that it was a very definitely kind of Trying to trying to get on RC's good side and curry favour with her at the very least, whereas the actual kind of subtitles were a little drier than it felt like the intent mm. was there. Cause yeah, there was definitely there was
0: definitely a little bit of that going on. The narrator then gets on screen, as it were, and makes it known that a report has been sent by RC to Rodimus, and now Fortress and crew have gone to Planet Prown. An interesting note regarding Prown, or Prown, whichever it is meant to be, again, it kept flipping in the script from the narrator quote planet Prown's position is is of strategic importance it is exposed to decepticon assault and has an autobot outpost the warriors set out to defend it end quote again it's just a little bit more of world building that we're getting in this andy but the fact now that there is this planet which has an autobot base that is prone to decepticon assault as is actually the phrase used in in the quote there it's, a, it's just a little in, bit of intrigue in that clearly the balance of things has really changed a lot here since Season 3.
1: Mm, yeah, it's, it's also kind of interesting because I feel like we've never really had this in the G1 continuity before because everything's always been very focused around Earth and Cybertron, and when there are other planets involved, it's usually just kind of accidental of just like, oh, we crash-landed on this planet or we just happened to be here for some reason. So, yeah, the fact that there's more of a kind of feeling of... A kind of galactic conflict, and there being outpost places, is definitely like a, a progression from what we're we may be used to from from the series.
0: Cut forward to the headmasters arriving at the base where the initial report came from, but things are very quiet, too quiet. They split up and look around, including a random moment where Fortress has to remind his comrades that there might be landmines about, which they seemingly had never considered. So. 4 million years of training, clearly was put to good use there. Their search ends up leading to the discovery of deceased robots. Not specifically any one, just, for want of a better way of putting it, like kind of an away team member in Star Trek, just a very generic enemy, or comrade as it were, who you're never going to see again. They find many bodies, but when they call out for, for survivors, someone lets off a gun from the base's sort of big defensive wall. We, the viewer, can't see who it is, except for the fact it is a silhouette of someone firing a gun. A silhouette, you say, Jeremy? I wonder who that could be. The headmasters venture inside and find a puzzle of sorts. Because the Autobot seemingly holding the gun that was fired moments ago was already dead, creating a mystery of how hi- how him firing the gun could have actually occurred. But above all else, Fortress sees the carnage and just the devastation that's happened with all the people there, the people being the robots, I mean, and he swears to avenge the victims. I really like this, Andy, because it, it added just another another level to Fortress's character of how much this is genuinely, I'll say, hurt him, and he wants to make it right and such, but it also adds just that little bit more depth about the Headmasters and how much they are actually involved in in wanting to actually be rid of the decepticons. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely that. And again there there is that slightly
1: darker tone here that, you know, we we've not really had mass murder much in there's there's not been much genocide in Transformers G1 overall. Um and you know, even kind of post, you know, apart from the movie. Um but like, you know, even post movie, like even that being a bit darker. It, it's We've not had anything quite like this, so that that's kind of quite striking. I quite liked the the very brief little sort of like mystery, almost like detective story subplot for a, a hot minute of just like wait, well, how was this gun fired? Like you know, the the, the rifle clearly just been discharged, but the body's been dead for longer. Like what's going on here? Um, and it, it it plays out quite nicely. So yeah, it's it's quite it's quite a good little. Quite quite a good little little scene there. Although I, I did, it was offset somewhat by the the comedy of, of was it was it Chrome Dome that just like oh we we need to break the door down and it was already open and he just like <laughs> falls through it and it's like why just try the door first before you shoulder charge it
0: first landmines then a the door you know
1: yeah oh yeah yeah and the whole landmine thing yeah and just like hopping around being like why didn't you tell us there might be landmines it's like guys you're supposed to be like professional soldiers here.
0: You could tell Forge at that point is just like, Thank God Rodimus isn't here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, in Autobot City on Earth, Rodimus discovers that Ultra Magnus has no knowledge of the supposed energy source that had been reported in that he had come to look at. Confused at this, the pair then set out to find what is referred to as infantry unit P twenty one, who had called in from a from a base in very broad terms here, Andy central asia
1: Yep, that's not 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 the not the
0: narrowest geographical location but we'll take it (laughs) they reach the facility and find that all the occupants much like the other base we saw with the headmasters have been slaughtered and assuming immediately it was the decepticons when ultramagnus digs into sort of the data that's still there which i did laugh Andy. he basically went through a filing cabinet and pulled out some paper
1: yeah, yeah, just keep, keeping it old school. I mean, I guess after the incident with the entire Autobot archives and the, the asteroid,
0: maybe they've just gone back to, to good old paper and filing cabinets. So we can't store it in the cloud. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they discover that all the energy data is still there. Rodimus, being the far more competent leader compared to what we saw in season three, once again, this has been established during this continuity, realizes something, something is up contacts Athenia immediately. After some back and forth on the communication as to whether something seemed off in the initial report, RC then plays back the original recording of the report that they received, and Rodimus quickly realises something's up in the corner of the screen, and we get some dramatic zoom moments as only you can do in an 80s anime, and we realise it's a silhouette of Mindwipe in the background. Realising at this point that the Headmasters are just walking into a trap on Prown, Rodimus hastily departs aboard the train bots, of which we actually get to see their full transformation sequence from each of them and then combining, which was good fun, and they head off to go and help them accordingly.
1: Yeah, yeah, the the train bots continue to be good, just just for the transformation, to be quite honest, but I, I also... I found this more amusing than I probably should have, that they they kind of, you know, did the classic sort of, you know, again, the classic sort of modern detective thing of like, wait, like, zoom in and enhance this image. But it wasn't just like... They could have gone for a subtle, you get to see, like, a little bit of, like, Mindwipe's wing, or a little bit of him. It's just whacking great silhouette in the background, and is like, oh yeah, it, it was Mindwipe there all along. And it's like, come on, like, that was quite, you didn't need to zoom in to see that, that was quite clearly there, but okay.
0: Admittedly, I, I actually meant to go back and see if the original transforma- uh, transmission, excuse me, actually had that silhouette in the background. I totally forgot to do it, but either way, I, like you say, it was quite ludicrous. Yeah,
1: I don't think it does. I think they cheat, and it's it's it's, it's a shame because it, it would have been it, it would probably have been funnier if it had just been there in the original
0: version as well. <laughs> but uh, but no, I did I did enjoy that. Back on Prown the headmasters finished their search of the base, having found only corpses despite someone, as we've been mentioning, definitely having fired the the gun recently. The Autobots are then soon caught by surprise when every one of the exits in the base is just sealed with no warning, and a domed structure begins to spin around them and starts burying itself in the sand. Now, the way this, this idea is actually conceived is pretty clever. I liken it, Andy, to... If you've been at, like, a big fun fair or something here in the UK, I'm sure this applies to other countries as well, but just for the sake of... For the sake of an example, it's easier to describe it this way. You go to kind of like a fun fair, and they've got the big spinning thing where you're kind of strapped in, and because of the G-force and the speed you're being spun at, you're just pressed against a wall, and you can't move. It was basically that, but a trap set by Zarak. Yeah, yeah, it's... I don't understand
1: why this is the trap but i do (laughs) quite like the whole centrifuge thing because it is quite visually cool and interesting and then you know it it does kind of lead us into what is really the whole point of this episode i feel like in terms of our our aforementioned veil of mystery um but yeah this this seems overly elaborate for like you've trapped people in a room who you want to kill like we've made that kind of quite clear it's like you could just you could just off them. You could have just blown up the building or done something. I don't know why we have to have a centrifuge, but sure, like,
0: y- you do use Zarek. I mean, there is a little point of that raised actually in a few minutes, so I will I will make a note of that accordingly. Important to note to begin with that it's actually all the headmasters, the Autopot headmasters, excuse me, excluding Fortress, who has the ingenious idea, Andy, of preventing himself from being captured by the G Force, of doing the following. Getting down on his hands and knees,
1: yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, it worked for him to to a to a, a degree. <laughs> so you know, <laughs> can knock it.
0: And then this leads to the following dialogue exchange. First of all, beginning with Zarak. Ha 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 ha! Fortress, you fell into my trap. Fortress responds with, "That voice, it's Zarak." Zerak responds with, That's right. You guys are now going to die. Just like four million years ago. Chromedome. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I've just realised my notes autocorrected Chromedome to Chromosome. (laughs) I mean, yeah.
1: Also Also
0: a good Transformer name, to be fair. Yeah, whether I leave that in the edit or not, people will know if they've heard it or not, I guess. So, Chromedome responds with, What is this? If you're a warrior, reveal yourself and fight! Zarak then responds with, Don't talk nonsense. You'll feel the power of my science. It's all remote controlled. Take that. And at this moment, the speed of the dome increases and fortress is now pulled towards the wall. Outside the dome, we come to find that that the Decepticon headmasters were hiding in the sand the whole time and are also lamenting the fact that they've now got sand stuck in places they didn't realise that could be stuck. But also, Andy, and I'm wondering again if this is going to play into something later on, which is why I'm being extra granular on noting this stuff today. They're kind of noting, I don't like the fact we're not having much fun here. Like, I wanted to be part of dispatching them. But it's at this point we can see the dome is slowly sinking into the sand, but it's also alluded to the fact by one of them, it may have been Mindwipe that said it, that this is just a test from Zarak, so we're going to get some action soon, don't you worry about that.
1: Yeah, and it's like uh, testing, testing what like how, how long Fortress
0: Maximus can kneel down before he gets <laughs> <laughs> before gravity takes its course. The dome finally stops spinning, and the Autobots attempt to break out. Only then for a torrent of sand to come rushing in because they are now underground, if you will. So the sand is just pouring in. We then beget, uh, beget. That's not a word. We then begin. <laughs> to get events recalled from the past of the Headmasters, from when they first reached Planet Master. The narrator begins speaking as we see a flashback of sorts as well. Quote, Four million years ago, the refugees from the war on Cybertron set out on a long journey into space, in search of a peaceful life. But due to engine problems, the spaceship came down. Quote, we, the viewer, can then see they've cra- they've crashed on a desert-like planet, and have had to trudge through sandstorms and all sorts. The narrator continues, they had to perform an emergency landing on Planet Master. We then we, the viewer, then see during this flashback a much younger version of Fortress and him trying to will on his comrades through all the aforementioned sandstorms, but then they are hit by a whirlwind and fall prey to quicksand. The narrator continues as they're all trying to climb out. But they were inexperienced, and had not yet learnt transformation. The ordeal proved strenuous, and many did not survive. Back in the present day now, we then see Fortress begin to rally his comrades together, highlighting that they've now had four million years of training for this moment. And they begin to try and fight their way out of the sand, and Fortress at this point also reminds them, things were a lot harsher on Planet Master than this. We can do it. We didn't get another flashback, with the narrator continuing. Planet Master's natural environment was harsh beyond belief. It was a steely hell of scorching heat. Strong acid rain that kept falling. They suffered painful burns and often had to shelter in caves. But that was not all. There were two ice ages in the four million years many of them succumbed to extreme cold and met a miserable end four million years is an unimaginable length of time end quote at this point we the viewer see construction begin on the bodies that they would come to control as headmasters and also their early failed attempts at transformation too which was a fun moment
1: yeah, I mean, I continue to be a big fan of, like, messed-up transformations in this show. Like, we had some really good moments across, like, the US G1 episodes of, like, half-baked transformations where it all goes wrong, and so I was very excited that we got some more of that, because never fails to entertain me.
0: And the narrator concludes the flashback by saying they struggled against the cruelties of nature inflicted on them for their own survival. Now, remembering all of this that has occurred the team perform a cross head-on, exchanging transectors to boost their powers and escape the sand trap. Now, interestingly, Andy, this is treated like this is the first time we're ever seeing this, but as we talked about on the last podcast, we actually saw this a tad bit in action during that last episode.
1: Yeah, I mean, it... I'm. I'm not sure whether. Yeah, that's just like a weird sort of episode continuity thing, or whether. Because there's part of me that feels like they seeded it in as a like, oh, hey, by the way, this is just a thing that can happen, and then this is kind of the real proof of concept of like, this is why this is really impressive. I don't understand why they don't just wear each other's heads all the time. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I. You know. I, I. I'm willing to. I'm willing to go with that. I still. Every time this happens, I'm like, I. I need to fish out my my original g1 headmaster's toys to see if this is also a thing in the actual toys and it changes the tech specs on them because i'm now convinced that it does but i feel like i'm gonna try it and i'm gonna be sorely disappointed and that's not actually how it works
0: oh no andy (laughs) (laughs) you you mustn't ruin your childhood for the sake of this but that said i want to know exactly yeah like I, i have to i could probably just look it up online somewhere but that's not the same it's not as much fun but it's about the chase, Andy. It's the hunt of the information, exactly, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. Following the cross-head-onning... That's a weird phrase, but I'll keep it. Yeah, yeah let's let's run with that. <laughs> they clash with the Decepticon Headmasters waiting above, who perform a cross-head-on of their own to fight against them. But the numbers are still too much for the Decepticon Headmasters. We see Mindwipe calling out for Zarak, but is nowhere to be found. Mindwipe then saying... Where is he when you need him? At which point, Galvatron arrives aboard Astro Train. We get to see Astro Train. I was so happy. And Rodimus then arrives with the train bots. And just as it looks like we're about to get a really big fight on our hands, the Headmasters step between the two leaders and request, having stared death in the face just a few moments earlier, that they take the Decepticons on themselves and manage to hurl the villains into the sand trap. So they actually did that quite spectacularly. Astrotrain then plucks the Decepticons from the trap, and they retreat as the Autobots look on, while the Decepticons are just hanging off Astrotrain, which I thought was weird, Andy, simply because you can fly.
1: Yeah. Well, also we know that like Decepticons can fit inside Astrotrain, like you can just about fit Devastator in there. So I, I it's. I let them have it because it's a better it's a better visual image of their retreat of like everybody just like hanging on um so it works better but yeah there, there are question marks of like you just get inside Astro train that's the thing you can do.
0: The episode concludes with the visual as I just mentioned of them literally hanging off Astro train and the Autobots looking on the narrator saying during this quote through wisdom and courage the headmasters shake off the decepticons but nobody knows what dirty tricks Galvatron might come up with next. The fight for justice continues until the day when peace will dawn. And that was the end of the episode. Like we said, Andy, there's nothing much about this episode, but what it does do is provide a lot of backstory for the Headmasters, which we've been wanting to hear more about. And I think the way they did this, though, as we've discussed, the circumstances are a bit weird, to say the least, but... The way it occurred and the way they demonstrated everything that they'd been through, it was done very well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think you can you can kind of track like the writing process for this, where they were clearly like, "Oh, we need to do the backstory of like the Autobot headmasters, something, something, sands, quick sands," and it's like, "Okay, how do we build an episode around this?" Um, but yeah, like I, I, I do really like the backstory stuff, like you know, I'm, I'm kind of always a sucker for that. But that that was a really well done, little segment. Like I, I really liked the the pre like actual headmaster character designs. Like there's a very specific kind of transformer look of that kind of robot where mm. they're sort of a bit more human than your typical transformers. That I really really like. That um, is kind of is basically kind of based off of like the the robot head designs of the headmasters really. Um, but I, I really like the look of that it's a yeah it's it's a good little bit of backstory um and yeah like you know and, and then on the on the sort of the, the counterpoint to that is we've finally seen a bit of zarak but we saw that absolutely nothing about him um and so you know that's kind of interesting especially now we've had this autobot backstory of like well what's the deal with the decepticon headmasters why does zarak not like fortress very much um you know etc etc where does he purchase his fog juice from or all of the all of the big questions um and so that's that's you know quite compelling in that as well as answering kind of one thing it's also set up a whole bunch of other questions which it will hopefully answer in due course
0: yeah and who knows how long they may keep this thing going when it comes to revealing zarak i get the feeling we might be here for a while before we mm. actually see him yeah, and
1: and that's the way it should be to be honest. Now they've set this this whole thing up like that feels like that should be a kind of end of season reveal almost or you know something towards the the tail end of of this episode run. So yeah, I'm I'm interested to see where they where they go
0: with that. From there, we now head to the TF wiki to see if there are any additional trivia notes or factoids that may help piece together a few other bits or perhaps just some interesting notes we may have not considered. As we've just alluded to, this was the first appearance of Zarak, but we obviously will not see him. I, I say in his final form, that may even in itself be a wrong way. We may not just see Zarak for a while yet. Another note: when preparing to switch heads, Highbrow calls Chrome Dome Chrome. There is a reason for this. This is the name of Chromedome's headmaster robot from the Japanese toy line although at no other point in the animated series is it indicated that these small robots have different names when they are not connected to their transsectors. In the same scene, Hardhead calls Brainstorm Storm, this is not the name of Brainstorm's headmaster in the Japanese toyline, where it is called Kana, a squishing up of Arcana. Which means, this is anyone's guess, perhaps Hardhead and Highbrow heads are named Hard and Brow, or perhaps they're just nicknames
1: yeah yeah i mean if it's if fair uh, you know you, you shorten people's names when you're buddies so yeah like why why not um, i think yeah, i think that's... i
0: I would much prefer being called chrome rather than dome yeah yeah <laughs> i mean
1: it's it's definitely the the preferable of, of the the two um yeah probably only his mum is allowed to call him dome
0: um, <laughs> just like goes dome will you do your homework <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> As we alluded to, Andy, on the last podcast, we discussed re- Rebellion on Planet Beast. That's the episode in question where Crossheadon Crosshead on technically debuted, but again, they sort of really give it the emphasis in this episode. <laughs> Trivia note. Pram is stated to be northeast of Athenia. That's an absolutely nonsensical direction to the use of relation to objects in space.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess if if you've got a two dimensional map of space and you're looking at it that way, then sure. But yeah, in gen in general terms, that's not that's that's not going to be much use on your sat nav.
0: Random additional trivia note: Apparently, uh, the headmasters took a two week break between the airing of the previous episode and this one in Japan. Fair enough. So there we go. Foreign localization. So, I don't know how, Andy, there's a big note regarding the English dub, so I guess I'll just start with that. Here we go. So, first of all, the title from the Omni Productions dub is Four Million Years, The Veil of Mystery. Yeah, okay.
1: Did
0: you Fine. The Omni Productions dialogue script, included on the Region 2 release of the Headmaster series, which is the DVD set we're taking this from, uh, gives the episode title as Four Million Years spelt Y-R-S Then the evil of mystery. (laughs) Okay, well, yeah, somebody just
1: clearly having a bad typing day on that
0: one. Veil was originally written in where evil was and then crossed out in pen and replaced. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Uh, The dialogue script also reveals depths of madness as yet unheard of from the company. Oh, God. According to it... Oh, my... Okay, right, here we go. According to it, Cyclonus is known as Saul, S-A-U-L and Scourge is known as Garth <laughs> <laughs> I mean, actually I can see that, Scourge
1: does have a bit of a Garth feel to him but, so. I'm now I'm no, also imagining like, the Breaking Bad spin-off series Better called Saul but it's just like Cyclonus is a dodgy lawyer and I really <laughs> want to see
0: that This <laughs> gets better, mate So Saul and Garth inform Galvatron, apparently that name's stuck, that Bronco, which is Zarak,
1: <laughs>
0: is there to see him. Uh, apparently, uh, Zarak would later be identified in scripts as either Sogi, S-O-G-I, or Chandler.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Chandler's a very good name for Zarak.
0: <laughs> Flippin' heck. So, the Shout Factory subtitle version. The episode is known as the 4 million year old Veil of Mystery, This episode begins a common tendency for characters to use scrap in place of rough language found in the original dialogue, as it occurs in nearly every episode after this. It's somewhat pointless to note its presence at every point onwards. I don't recall seeing that in the English script, so I'm guessing that's very much just a shout factory decision there, if there's a bad word.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's weird that there are words, given that this is sort of, you know, relatively aimed at kids, it's, well, I don't know, I guess in Japan, like, they they, they swear it up in Naruto and stuff, so hmm. I suppose it's not that surprising, but it's, it is, I'd have thought this would be of such an age range where there wouldn't be anything of, offensive enough that they'd have to, to switch it out.
0: Yeah, I'm just trying to think, at this point in Japan, would the original Dragon Ball have been airing? traffic yeah. what else may have been going on around that time I,
1: I think i this is maybe slightly pre that but
0: yeah it's the same ballpark it's around that time definitely uh additionally we have got so i'm gonna let you choose first andy would you like to know the localized name for mandarin or italian first
1: i feel like the italians are usually pretty good at this let's, <laughs> let's, hear, let's hear it
0: so past comes back headmasters in danger yeah, I mean there's a was like a very
1: literal boiled down translation of the four million year old veil well of mystery, but okay.
0: The Mandarin title. The Mystery of Four Million Year Old Phenomenon of Veil
1: Okay, so somebody just really wanted to use the
0: word phenomenon, I guess, <laughs> somewhere so there we go that was episode seven the four million year old veil of mystery andy before we move on any additional notes or anything else that you noticed that we should make uh mention of before we head on no
1: no uh, no, 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 re- pun on? Okay, well, no pun was, intended there for the record no pun intended that's a shame because that was very good no i mean <laughs> I, i'm just i'm just disappointed that I, I don't think we get any of garth in the next episode but...
0: <laughs> i won't lie we might have to check out this episode in english now just to hear the dub just for that scene <laughs> <laughs> alone Hi folks, Future Jeremy here, just chiming in quickly with an editor note. Unfortunately, during the recording of this podcast, we did not become aware until after the fact that there was an issue involving my microphone, which specifically affected a 10-minute period of the recap you are about to hear. So from the one hour mark to one hour nine, you will notice that my voice sounds very different. That's because we used the backup audio source that we had running to fill in that gap. I've done my best to clean up the quality and such. It's still very listenable, but I just wanted to give you context as to why I will sound different for that 10 minute period. With that being said, back to the show. Right, well from there then, let us advance to episode 8 of Transformers Headmasters, known as Terror of the Six Shadows. We begin with a shot of space and a black silhouetted craft flying by. The narrator saying, quote, Something terrible is about to happen on Earth, quote. I mean, it just, just 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 another day in the year, really. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a day where something terrible doesn't happen on Earth. We see the ship head towards what I think was Earth and we cut to the train bots arriving on Earth themselves by Mount Fuji. <laughs> the narrator then comes back on and says, Daniel and Wheelie have come to the birthplace of the train bots, Japan. I won't lie, Andy, when I heard that, I'm like, yes, we're getting an episode set in Japan. I am game for this.
1: Yeah, it's kind of surprising it's taken us this long, to be to be honest. Um, but, But also, like... Are we going to get Trainbots backstory in that case? Because I want to know, like, how how, how were they created? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I realise at this point we have, like, a hundred Transformers that have just, like, been dropped into episodes with zero <laughs> backstory or origin. But come on, at least give the Trainbots a bit, like, why? Why? Like, why, why trains? Why... Japan, well, I mean, I imagine if they were British trains. I mean, they'd be terrible. Um, <laughs> they'd be delayed
0: all the time, then. Yeah, exactly.
1: Like, the replacement bus service bots. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, like I feel like there's there's a story that needs to be told here, and I'm hoping that we get it.
0: Yeah, so just to, to tell everyone now, this is not the train bots backstory, which is what I thought we were going to get, and I was so up for that. So we, I really hope we get this at some point. Apparently... The train bots have bought Daniel and Wheelie on a trip to their birthplace of Japan, but the fun comes cr- to a crashing halt almost immediately when they're looking at one of the big large screen televisions that you see on the side of the buildings in Japan, and then a shadowy robotic figure comes on the screen. Not Zarak, it should be said. And we hear that shadowy figure say, quote, Citizens of Japan, I want all the energy in Japan. If you resist, we will destroy you. (laughs) At Autobot City, everyone is unable to identify the mystery figure, let alone confirm if it's a Decepticon or, as is randomly peppered into this scene, Andy, a mysterious third force, which I initially took to mean, is this how the Quintessons come back into the fray? (laughs) Because they, they just don't exist at this point, as far as I can tell yeah yeah or is,
1: is is it the junkions i mean I, genuine question have none of the autobots seen this character already like in this continuity <laughs> i thought at least some of them have, have have encountered the individual in question that appears in this video and i was a little bit like surely somebody would recognize it we
0: got a one-on-one fight near enough between said character, who I guess we're keeping as, a, as its own veil of mystery for the moment, and uh, Ultra Magnus.
1: Yeah, that's what I thought as well, because I was like, I'm sure, I'm sure this has happened. I, I mean, th- it's pretty obvious right there from the title that there are six shadows as to who this <laughs> character is. So if you've not been following along, then, you know, you, you, maybe you've missed out, but it's pretty obvious who it is. But yeah, I just had that feeling, especially because this version is just like his normal robot mode, and it's like... Somebody should recognise this, I feel like. I mean, again, if there's one thing that's been recurring throughout this series, it's the Autobots maybe not being the best organised when it comes to figuring stuff out. But it's like, it's not it's not that hard. Like, you know, somebody somebody should should be able to join the dots on this. But
0: anyway, I digress. You'd think. you think. At this point, Ultramagnus contacts Athenia, and we see a quick transition scene where Rodimus and the Autobot Headmasters depart for Earth. We then cut to Char, where Cyclonus and Scourge are incensed that anyone other... Actually, no, wait, what are their names again? I need to get this correct now. Sorry, bear with me. Um- oh, that's right, sorry. So, on Char, Saul and Garth are incensed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to do that, everyone, I promise. Yeah, I it, just, do it, it,
1: just, it just doesn't work, does it? When you actually use it in contexts <laughs> like that, it's like, no, this is this just sounds like a episode of EastEnders. <laughs>
0: I was going to ask if there ever, ever been anyone called Saul on EastEnders, but you know what? I don't want to know, so I'll yes, leave that question I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's been a Garth at least. There must Let's not get onto that. So, <laughs> o- on chart, Cyclonus and Scourge are incensed that anyone other than the Decepticons would dare to steal Earth's energy and vow to steal it from the unknown robot, despite a strange lack of interest in their plan and desire to do so from their leader, Galvatron, who simply tells them, "Quote, your talk bores me. Do it together if you're so keen."
1: <laughs>
0: I'm actually starting
1: to really warm to Calvatron in this series. Right? It's just, it's just like he's just like so done with everybody's nonsense, and he's just like, "I just do whatever you like. I don't care. Just get out of my face."
0: There's part of me that's really craving to hear Frank Welker say some of these lines of dialogue. Yeah, yeah, if only. We then see Cyclonus and Scourge interrupt what appeared to be a very lucrative game of poker, Andy. I don't know if you noticed this, but this (laughs) appeared to be very lucrative for someone.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's, yeah, again, can can we have the backstory of, of where all this money came from? Like, you know, I mean, if they want all of Japan's
0: energy, why not just buy
1: it at this point?
0: I mean, look, Char is a different place. They've clearly got casinos there now, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, The Decepticon headmasters were trying to be recruited for the mission by Cyclonus and Scourge, and to put it quite frankly, they weren't really all that interested, so they didn't. Later, when the two arrive on Earth, Scourge and Cyclonus, they receive no more help from a very relaxed sick shot. I say relaxed because he's literally sipping from a wine glass of Energon, which is a wonderful visual. Yeah, yeah, he's having a good time. And I'm probably going to use that same screenshot in the thumbnail for this podcast, so you'll get to see it, everybody. Have fun with that. At this point, Andy, we come to find out that as well as Japan, the USA, UK, France, Canada, and the USSR have each been threatened too by said mysterious force. Rodimus urges each government to keep negotiations ongoing while they try to figure things out. We then cut to New York where the Autobot Headmasters are sitting on the Statue of Liberty and are discussing the likeness of the statue to R.C. And Highbrow, without missing a beat, says that he thinks that the statue looks better than her. (laughs) I,
1: I mean, just just the, the, the sheer premise of, like, I'm, I'm not sure there's that much similarity between the Statue of Liberty and R.C. in the first place. It's like, it's a bit of a stretch to, to begin with, but uh, you know, whatever Headbusters. Either way, he ain't going
0: on a date win. with her now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like,
1: well, hopefully she didn't hear.
0: They end up going to a TV station to review the footage of the announcement, if you will, that America would have seen. When an when they make a unique discovery in that they were threatened by a different enemy one in the shape of a gun the mystery deepens (laughs) this is when we find out that each country mentioned had been threatened by a different enemy the us threatened by a giant gun the ussr by a tank great britain was threatened by a threatened by a winged wolf France was threatened by a jet and Canada, an armoured car. And and yet still,
1: (laughs) nobody is able to join the dots on these six different forms that have
0: threatened different countries. I mean, let's call it like it is. The gun looks like something you would see out of Captain Scarlet. Like one of the the big handguns you'd get from that show. So I was just thinking, come on, lads. You know, you can figure this out. Come on, Rodimus, you've been so good as a leader. Figure it out. Yeah. Elsewhere, this news has Daniel and Wheelie worried about the train bots. However, the train bots themselves are not at all worried about this. They are convinced that their six-strong team can handle all six blackmailers. Now, I'm going to say this now, folks. The phrase blackmailers is referred is used constantly in the subtitle script, so I've kind of tried to stick with that in my notes here, but that is basically a phrase that is used throughout Andy, and you can vouch for that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's not an unfair description of what is going down here, so yeah, sure, black, blackmail it is.
0: But their, rel- their relaxation is interrupted when Shoki, the leader of the train bots, is about to sip from a glass of Energon, and he looks into it and sees something weird in it. Is it like a hair in there or something? Is it a bit of dust? No, it's the reflection of Ratbat on the ceiling spying on them. <laughs> I loved this reveal.
1: Yeah, if, if, if you had Laserbeak spying spying on the Autobots on your bingo
0: card, you're out of luck because it's Ratbat all the time now. <laughs> so Ratbat is able to escape and returns to Sound Blaster, who then reports back to, to the Decepticon base that the Autobot headmasters have come to Earth cyclonus and scourge however are more concerned with the revelation that there are now six enemies to fight even if six shot standing right next to them is not at all concerned by this <laughs> come on lads please it's,
1: it's like yeah i mean at this point you might as well just be like hanging out in a t-shirt that just says it's me on it <laughs> <laughs> but no <laughs> apparently still completely
0: beyond everybody that this might all be one person so they said that they are going to stop the Autobots from getting the upper hand and leave Sound Blaster and a maniac, quite rightly maniacally laughing, six-shot to guard Dino Base, aka Tryptocom. Then, Andy, we cut to stereotypical foggy London where that the winged Zarek's wolf... There? Does that mean Zarex there? Maybe, maybe Zarex <laughs> in London. Maybe right. that's what's going on. <laughs> there you go. Where the winged wolf shows up and scares two people riding on horseback. That's that's the London that I know. Yep. And like, what what year is this set? Like twenty eleven or something, <laughs> something like that. Now, isn't <laughs> it? Yeah. It's like, yeah, That's what we do. That's how we roll. <laughs> at this point, the headmasters and Metroplex head out. Yes, folks, Metroplex is involved in this as well, only to arrive too late. The narrator says, "Quote." On the trail of the Blackmailers, the Autobots land in Britain, and at the same time, the Decepticons, Cyclonus and Scourge head for Britain. But when the Autobot warriors arrive on the scene, the Blackmailers have vanished without a trace. Quote.
1: They just, just realised that everyone was on strike, and it's like, well, I'm not going to get anything <laughs> done here, we might as well go somewhere <laughs> else first.
0: As long as the train bots don't join them, we're fine.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. I guess that's why the train bots didn't go to Britain because it's just like, well, no, just can't, can't do anything.
0: Or they're just like, no, no, no their train infrastructure is too bad. We can't, yeah. we can't be dealing with that. <laughs> yeah. While they are there, however, New York is attacked by a giant gun in the sky, and both the Autobots as well as Cyclonus and Scourge are unable to get there in time to stop it. There's a random interaction during the New York scene as well, with the Headmasters finding Cyclonus and Scourge hiding behind a wall as they try to figure out how they're going to contact the blackmailers. They get cornered by the Headmasters, and the opening line from one of them, the Headmasters that is, saying it to Cyclonus and Scourge, is simply You two! Are you out on a date?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I forgot that line. Yeah, that's very good.
0: Before rapidly flying away. Back with Rodimus. He speculates that the blackmailers will be hitting Japan next. The reason for this is because he is citing a successful energy generation program that's been announced recently as a reason. Daniel and the train bots then enter. And Daniel lets them know that they've had a great time in Japan and did lots of shopping there. He's had a wonderful trip there. He's bought some gifts for his parents. He's in a really, really good mood. Cue your weekly dose of the headmasters being young and brash and i.e. being cliff jumper f- for Legacy this podcast. Because they are disgusted that the train bots and Daniel and Wheelie have been shopping in Tokyo while everyone else has been worried about the blackmailers. At this point, the train bots profess to having been patrolling Japan while Daniel went shopping. But an argument ensues, and when Daniel tries to intervene, Chromedome says the immortal line, Daniel, will you be quiet? (laughs)
1: Let the boy enjoy his gunpla that he bought in Japan.
0: (laughs) Causing Daniel to throw down the boxes of gifts, which notably some kind of figures or model kits did fall out of it. You can't unsee that, folks and then he runs out the room and is crying Dome then follows seeking to make amends and discovers daniel playing with a toy of a ninja throwing star he purchased he's got a freaking shuriken everyone what the heck how did he get that through customs
1: i mean my understanding of getting stuff out of japan japanese customs even in even in kind of like this timeline of like continuity was surprisingly easy. Like I've definitely heard stories of people bringing like fake guns through their suitcases and other offensive weapons with very little very little
0: issue. So um so yeah, I can I can absolutely believe that. Also, can we take a moment to appreciate that Daniel was spinning like the shuriken on the desk, like holding like one bit on his finger and the other bit on the desk and just like spinning it around. Some really nice animation of that. But also, why is he that good at uh, handling a shuriken at his age.
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe this is the Naruto
0: Transformers spin-off that we never knew we needed. <laughs> I mean, it also makes me wonder, what Spike been teaching him? Actually, was it Spike, was it Wheelie? It's got to have been Wheelie.
1: Yeah, if it's anything that's, yeah, dangerous, it's probably Wheelie. That said, could have been Carly. It could have been. <laughs> yeah, no, Carly's more of an explosives person. Like, if, if, if it was... <laughs> Like, if, if, he, if he was playing with some C4, that would definitely be a Carly thing.
0: Intrigued at the Shuriken, Dome learns from Daniel of Earth's stories of ninjas and their ability to appear in many places at once. And the story stirs up a memory from some time ago. Quote, A ninja energy gang came to the energy mines and cities on our planet that being the planet master we're talking about, folks, a ninja energy gang. I, yeah. I laughed so hard. I mean, yeah, I never I never
1: expected to hear the phrase ninja energy gang um in anything, to be honest. But now now I've heard it, it will live with me for a long time.
0: Sounds like a low rent indie band or something, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean maybe, maybe that was maybe that's their origin story, is like they actually started out <laughs> as a like Oasis knockoff and then they you know, I don't know, started stealing Energy on
0: we see a flashback sequence on Planet Master of a mysterious shadowy figure being able to duplicate himself and transform into six shapes and in the process killing Chromedome's friend Abel. Realising that the ninja is definitely the blackmailer, Chromedome vows revenge. Interesting quote from one of the headmasters when it comes to talking about how ninjas can divide. They say, It's typical of a ninja to to divide into six. Which, if, if more modern ninja cartoons, let's cite Naruto as an example, is anything to go by, by default, it's normally just a couple
1: yeah yeah six six does seem it's almost like they chose that for some other reason entirely and then that's not actually accurate but then again this 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 is where we get into the whole ninjas were never real discussion and that's a whole other thing
0: mm. nothing to do with trying to sell perhaps a toy that can change into six things indeed i'll bring that back up as a note actually because that is what this episode does scream of. by the way andy in terms of mm-hmm. being an advert
1: Oh yeah, like this is one hundred percent. I mean, this 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 was the the this is the commercial that the, the the U.S. continuity never got because they just they never really seemed to know what to do with this character, so it was just kind of there occasionally. Whereas this is a very deliberate, like, hey, look at look at this guy, isn't he cool?
0: Tokyo soon comes under attack from the robotic villain. Now, the way I've described this scene, Andy. It's the Transformers equivalent of a kaiju rampaging through a city. And also, because I can cleanly say it now, Andy, you can see it's six shot. It just is. There's no shadowy veil. It's him. It's it's his natural form, if you will. It's, it's, it's his color scheme. It's 100 billion percent six shot.
1: Yeah. Uh, who, who could have foreseen this? Who saw this coming?
0: <laughs> the train bots then plead to be allowed to defend their homeland of Japan. Rodimus allows it, much to the annoyance of the headmasters who claim it's indulgence on their part. Which, I mean, guys, come on, line up, you know. (laughs) We then see the train bots travel to Japan and merge into their combiner form of Raiden to go and fight the blackmailer. Quick side note, Andy, because I know we discussed this before when we first saw the train bots and we were reading about them. Because of the pronunciation in the dub, we have now had it confirmed it is pronounced as Raiden, which I think is what we figured out it would be anyway, but we 100% got the confirmation this episode.
1: Yeah, yeah that makes sense.
0: We get a brief battle between the two, but the fight takes on a new twist, you could say. This is when Cyclonus' and Scourge arrive with Trypticon, aka Dino Base, and an interesting animation note here is that we actually get a real sense of scale between Sixshot fighting Raiden and then who then has to fight Trypticon. So we get a proper decent scaling here of, of how, quite frankly, just the, just the size difference between all of them. And especially Andy, because Sixshot really takes it to Raiden on his own, even before Trypticon arrives.
1: Yeah, yeah. Again, as, as mentioned in terms of trying to sell the toy that that feels like that that kind of factors in there. But yeah again, this this is one of those nice little things that we'd we'd almost forgotten in the post-movie like animation side of things where scale was not really the strong suit of season three of Transformers. Um and now it is back in safer animation hands they actually care about which characters are bigger than others in a way that that is far more satisfying.
0: And then we also get to see the fact as well that Cyclonus and Scourge are piloting Trypticon like it's a combined giant robot from a Super Sentai a la Power Rangers show. So that's another interesting note about Trypticon because I don't think we've ever seen that before either.
1: No, no, I mean, that. That's not right, to be quite honest. Like I don't, I, I, am not, I'm not sure that that should be a, a thing. Because yeah, like you know, he is, he, he's not like a mindless robot. Like he is a, a transformer, the same as everyone else. So the idea that he's being piloted, is, is quite frankly
0: offensive to me. I don't like it. Despite their best efforts, Raiden is heavily outnumbered, trying to fend off both Trypticon and Six Shots attacks. Seeing this on the monitor back at base, and despite some mixed feelings earlier in the episode, the Autobot Headmasters rush to aid their fellow comrade, fending off Trip... They also arrive really flipping quickly, it's got to be said. I don't know where they're based, but they've got their, their flipping heartbeat. But they then fend off Tripticon while Raiden deals with the Black... Ma- deals with Shot. Why is there write the Blackmailer at this point? Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, deals with Sixshot and its various forms. It's a fun battle, it's got to be said. It takes to the air for a period of time, and it's the perfect advert to demonstrate six shots, all of his transformations, quite frankly. And the fact as well, Andy, that in the context of, of this G1 Japanese continuity, he could use shadow clones just like a ninja would in most anime.
1: Yeah, I mean, why why, why not? Why not have him be an, a ninja?
0: And I'm sure that was also another way of them going, child, you must buy this toy multiple times so you can also do the shadow clones. <laughs> yeah, <absolutely. laughs> Ultimately, the opportunity comes for Chromedome to get revenge for his fallen friend Abel. And he causes Sixshot to revert to his root mode once he was transformed in his one of his other forms and he's none too happy about it. Just kicking Cyclonus and Scourge out of the way as they're trying to help him up. Now that they know it's him, they actually want to help him rather than try and go against him. The battle concludes with the Decepticons each transforming into jet mode and fleeing. We then see back on Char, Galvatron is enraged who of course we find out was in on the plan the whole time and starts just pummeling cyclonus and scourge for their incompetence galvatron also notes during this that trypticon was destroyed and he's not too happy about that so andy have we just seen the end of trypticon randomly as a super sentai robot
1: i mean i feel like he has been Destroyed to some extent multiple times over <laughs> like the, the course of G one because I mean he was ditched in a lake what two three times over yeah. the course of the the post film continuity so I don't know he always seems to to come back so I hope so like I like Tripsicon Tripsicon is cool like, he's a big dinosaur what's not to like so I hope they haven't just written him out of the series because that would suck maybe mm. they bring him back with a slightly different name because that seems to be the going thing <laughs> with this show.
0: And a different colour scheme, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I know. Called like Dino
0: Apartment Block or something. Like that. <laughs> Dino Block, there you go. Yeah, Dino Block. <laughs> we yeah. didn't see on Earth that the Headmasters and Trainbots reconcile and they're all one big happy family. The narrator specifically saying, the Headmasters and Trainbots joined forces and saved Japan. Both sides are filled with warm feelings of friendship. We'll see what happens in the next episode, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah. Not that I've
0: seen it yet, mind you. I'm just saying, I'm guessing that's not going to last.
1: No, no, warm feelings of friendship. Yeah, that's that's not... That's definitely not going to (laughs)
0: last. As the scene concludes, there's a touching moment when the headmasters are getting ready to head back to Athenia, and then they're taking Daniel back with them. And then we see Shoki appear, and he gives Daniel all the gifts that he bought his parents on the Tokyo trip. And I'm thinking... How did you repack those boxes with your giant hands? <laughs> also, but either can, way, oh god!
1: Also, how can Daniel afford all these things? Like, is, is he is he is he salaried? Is he a salaried member of the Autobots? <laughs> like, what I the, mean, like,
0: given all the strawberries and he must have had some payouts. I know?
1: suppose, yeah, there's probably some <laughs> kind of like compensation thing going on there. But like, I don't know, yeah, it's, it seems like he's kind of he's kind of flush with cash. I mean, if I know, I mean, the Decepticons are kicking around with loads of money. Like, there's clearly quite a lot of. Quite a lucrative business, this whole Galactic War thing. So
0: either that or the allowance he gets from like Spike and Carly must be massive. He must have a yeah. big pocket money allowance each time.
1: Yeah, yeah, that'll, that'll that'll be it.
0: And that is how the episode concludes. Now I know we sort of alluded to it at the beginning, Andy, and like I've just also said a moment ago, this was blatantly just an uh, the the advert episode for Six Shot. I love the concept of the episode. In a way, it's just a shame this wasn't the debut episode of Six Shot, and this would have been the way to introduce him as a character, because I think that could have been far had far greater of an impact. But that said, it was still a fun episode. But us, I mean, aside from the fact it's a kids' cartoon, and we've talked about that before and such. It's a shame we already knew who the heck it was from the moment it started happening.
1: Yeah, I, I think that would have genuinely had I not seen Six Shot. Prior to this episode, that I would have had at least a little bit of suspense of disbelief of like, wait, who is this? Um, but yeah, like it's because we've seen him before, and because like his first intro, like his first like blackmail messages in his robot form, which is like the most easily like memorable to me, was like, oh, right, sick shot, okay, I get it. <laughs> um, I mean, but to be fair, on the flip side of this. I did finish this episode and start looking up six-shot toys on eBay. So, <laughs> you know, mostly out of curiosity, I'm not going to buy a six-shot toy. But it's like, oh, actually, this guy's cooler than I remember. So, you know, I guess I guess it, it it succeeded in its
0: core goal of making you think, oh, six-shot seems kind of cool. From there then, Andy, how about we move to the TF wiki and see if there are any additional notes and continuity that may, may help provide some clarity on what we watched today.
1: Yeah, yeah, let's, let's see if Six Shots' like, name in the Omni
0: Productions dub was like Francesco or something. <laughs> so, to begin with, for Transformers fans who already own his toy or otherwise know Six Shots deal, it's really quite easy to forget the fact that this is the first time he has displayed his six changing abilities in the series. Indeed, it's the first time he has transformed at all aside from a commercial bumper, hence the confusion from all the other characters. It also does not help the story that you can tell it's blatantly him from the second his robot silhouette mode appears.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I, I guess that that is the weird, the, the part that, yeah, we, we maybe forget having watched like, you know, the US cartoon where, you know, he gets his very brief cameo of like, hey, look, these are all my modes. that happens in like <laughs> 10 seconds and then he's barely seen of again. Um, so yeah, I, I, I guess it, it maybe works a little bit better. But yeah, again, showing his robot mode first is probably was the poorest choice of this episode.
0: In addition to debuting Six Shot's transformations, it also introduces his assorted ninja-related powers, including the ability to create, as TFWiki puts it, numerous solid light duplicates of himself, and apparently the ability to remain entirely cloaked in shadow even in the middle of a shade-free sunbaked desert. (laughs) Uh, Apparently he'll be making good use of this power and more later in the series. (laughs) is is this going to be the reveal that he was actually in every episode it's just you couldn't see him (laughs) the train bots merge into raiden for the first time in this episode but this is treated with shockingly little dramatic flourish especially for japan in fact absolutely nothing special is made of this first combination at all perhaps because we've seen them do it in the opening credits for eight episodes already completely stifling any sense of surprise about the whole thing I agree to a point, but still just the idea we got to see it happen in an episode, it excited me, but I hadn't considered it from that point of view.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, again, like, this is a six-shot episode, so you can understand why they didn't want to go in on that, but it does it does make you wonder, you know, having talked about we want our train bots' origin story, the fact that they've kind of had a focal point in this episode and done nothing with it suggests that maybe we won't be getting that, but we'll see.
0: Hmm. Along with Thief in the Night in the season three, this is another episode which which proves that the Soviet Union's 1991 collapse didn't occur in the original animated series continuity. It's almost <laughs> like it was produced before that happened or something. Yeah, I mean it would have
1: been way weirder had they had like a sort of you know a, a post-Soviet collapse Russia <laughs> in this show and be like it, it's like that thing where like things that the Simpsons predicted have all
0: come true. It'd be like wait a second, how did how did this come about? A fun little uh, Transformers the Movie reference here, Andy. Did you notice that Wheelie once again wields his seldom-used slingshot that he used against Grimlock in the film? Oh,
1: I hadn't noticed that. I think I just blank Wheelie out of my mind whenever he appears (laughs) at this point, to be fair, so
0: that's probably why. Transformers references. When Daniel drops the box, several figures that could be Transformers... Uh, fall out but they show a surprising amount of articulation for toys during the time the show was made looks like they guessed correctly that transformers figures would be more articulated by 2011
1: <laughs> yeah they're playing the long game in promoting those toys <laughs> but uh but yeah it's it's I, I mean that that is an interesting like question because if you were like if if, if transformers was real and like you know People would absolutely be making, like, toys of the Transformers anyway, like, even if it wasn't a cartoon, because they are still cool robots, and even if they were wrecking the planet all the time, you'd be like, yeah, but they look pretty cool, and people would want to own toys of them. So it's not unreasonable to assume that even in this continuity, Transformers toys would exist.
0: (laughs) On the uh, animation and technical errors portion of this, uh, I'll just read out one or two of these, and we'll see how many we we ultimately are going to use. When Sixshot attacks Tokyo in robot mode in the final stages of the episode, the kaiju scene that I mentioned, rather than being entirely shrouded in shadow, he has been brought up in full colour. <laughs> Although it was always astonishing, obvi- astonishingly obvious it was Sixshot, just based on his silhouette, this surely must have been a mistake, as the shocked reaction to his true identity does not come until he is blasted from the sky some minutes later.
1: <laughs> yeah, that that does seem like... Somebody missed the memo on what they were trying to do in that scene.
0: Hmm. <laughs> London is depicted as a fog-shrouded forest that people ride through on horseback for God's sake. <laughs> I mean again, maybe maybe this is them predicting
1: what the UK would be like in 2011. And they weren't they weren't a million miles off there, maybe just like a decade too early because we're we're heading that direction, folks. <laughs>
0: When New York City was last seen in the episode "Only Human," it had a ton of ridiculously goofy futuristic buildings about it, so tall they dwarfed even the World Trade Center. These buildings are nowhere to be found in this episode, and New York appears as it did actually in the '80s.
1: Yeah, I'd I'd forgotten about uh, about that, but uh, yeah, it was I mean, given that London, you know, the UK is now just a big forest, I suppose <laughs> everywhere has regressed
0: apparently. A few additional trivia notes. Uh, We mentioned earlier that there was like a two-week gap between the last episode and the one we discussed on the previous podcast airing. This originally aired as a double bill with the next episode we'll be talking about in the podcast next time, Andy, uh, on September the 4th of that year.
1: Oh, okay. I mean, so I I guess for the... The next episode, we should expect a big, like, mid-arc cliffhanger or something, if that's Mm. the way they decide to broadcast it. Unless they just had a bigger slot to fill and they just slammed them together (laughs) because they didn't care. Also a possibility.
0: Do you have another episode ready now? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's like,
1: yeah, you know, the the, the football didn't run into extra time. We need to fill this gap or something.
0: (laughs) What appears to be part of the arc can be seen in an outside shot of Autobot City, although the ship was destroyed much earlier in Five Faces of Darkness Part 5. Now that they mention it, there is something that is coloured like the Ark. Yeah, I, I, I'd i forgotten more about the Ark being
1: blown up, because yeah, I saw that and was just like,
0: oh yeah, okay, but then I guess if this is...
1: Season 3 didn't really happen in this continuity, which means... That well, that's the
0: thing. Arc- season 3 did, but it was the Rebirth that didn't.
1: Yeah, I guess that's true. So yeah, no, they they, they screwed
0: up. I was trying to make excuses for them, but no. They <laughs> <I> failed. <laughs> and I guess reflecting on something that I mentioned, uh, apparently stores are perfectly happy to sell toy ninja stars to a little boy with no parental escort and accompanied only by an annoying orange alien. Yeah. Again, I will say, like in Japan in the
1: 1980s, that absolutely would have happened. So I'm, I'm, I can buy into that part at least.
0: <laughs> the additional note here is simply this was aired in the 80s, though. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh my god. Right. Foreign localization. I've just seen the English dub note. How long <laughs> this English dub note is? <laughs> okay. Right. Strap in, folks. Uh, first of all, the English dub name for this episode was "The Shadow of Evil." Which is not bad, I kind of like that. It's not, but the the, the six
1: shadows is kind of the point. Like, I feel yeah. like they're kind of... if They're basically saying it's all the same person, which is kind of even more of a spoiler than everything else.
0: Which I guess also, the fact... That also could, in theory, have been mistaken for Zarak as well. Or whatever his name was, Bumbletron in the other dub, whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> so... The Omni Productions dialogue script included on the MetroDome release of the Headmaster series gives the episode title as The Show of Evil. <laughs> I mean, with their dub perhaps. Um, A- according to the dialogue script, the shadowy six shot is Saul and scatter shot is Garth. And so are Cyclonus and Scourge. <laughs> I mean they just they, they just
1: clearly just given up naming anyone by this point. <laughs>
0: Uh, the unshadowy six shot is listed under his own name. Uh, as Cyclonus and Scourge are, cons- are consistently called Saul and Garth in the script, otherwise, these identifications were presumably an error. <laughs> okay, Andy. I'm just going to read this. Shoki, the train bot, uh, their lines are listed as coming from the character name Hard. Cool. Um the script's shorthand for Hard Head, even when Hard Head himself appears only a few lines prior. Uh Kayen, also Trainbot, is referred to as Powell, P-O-W-E-L-L, and Sound Blasters lines come from Boulada. <laughs> Bulada. B-U-L-A-D-A. Sound Bulada. Uh, shockingly the script gives gives a name to a generic worker robot who speaks before abel he is identified as foo i mean that's probably a better name than any of the others ironically (laughs) shout factory subtitles the episode is known as terror of the six shadows the point that japan has succeeded at generating energy at the bottom of the ocean is glossed over as an unspecified successful energy generating program Okay, that's interesting, because that was actually in our script as well when we watched that. Mm, yeah. So maybe there's a little bit of cross-pollination on that. So, I mentioned Fu a second ago. Fu's single line, get out, energy gangster, which is a great line, <laughs> <laughs> is translated as, go away, you thugs! Yeah, that's... I
1: that was definitely one of those things where i it, it felt like this is not a, this is not a
0: direct translation you've you've mm. kind of taken some liberties with this one so we've got additional foreign localization and the first of all mandarin was the terrible six shadows uh, in russian it was the shadow of evil and uh, then I'll give you a choice, Andy. We've either got Spanish or Italian. Which would you like to hear first? I feel like the Italians let me down last time, so let's say the Spanish one. Okay. Spain was Malevolent Spectacle. <laughs> I mean, that's very generic, <laughs> but it's two very good words, so good for that. And Italian was Fear the Monster's Six Shadows. Oh, that's actually good. The Italians have redeemed themselves. That's, that's very
1: good. That's a very good title.
0: And there we go, folks. That concludes this edition of the podcast. But before we head on to what is going to be coming up next and doing our proper outro and such, any additional notes you had noted down with regard to that particular episode, Andy?
1: No, it's just... If Santa is is
0: watching, I would like a six-shot toy for Christmas, please. Um, <laughs> just, just saying. So, folks, I mentioned next time. What is happening next time? Well, we'll be moving on to episodes 9 and 10 of Transformers Headmasters, which as alluded to earlier, is a two-part story. Our, is it our first two-parter of the series? Technically, or um, named two-parter, I should say? First named one, I guess, because there's definitely been continue.
1: well, because the, the first few episodes were kind yeah. of like their own thing, but they weren't named as such.
0: Yeah. And this two-parter is known as Cybertron is in Grave Danger. Again. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll be touching on those in terms of a time frame folks gonna be honest not entirely sure at this point andy probably fair to assume depending on when this is ultimately released and how quickly i can edit it amongst illness and such probably probably wouldn't expect it until the beginning of 2023 i would say would you say that's fair
1: yeah yeah i, I suspect we won't be recording this till the new year so uh yeah it'll be be sometime then uh, I was going to go do the, the, the traditional late US Transformers narrator voice it's the year 2023 but <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not good enough for that
0: there we go so Hope you'll stick around with us until then. If you want to find us on Twitter and Instagram, our usernames are at StarscreamsPod. And if you feel so inclined, why not go back and check out more of the archives? As mentioned at the top of the show, we have covered every single episode of Transformers from the start of the US continuity, including the movie, right through until now. So if you want to perhaps reminisce over some of the wonderful stories or perhaps some of the bloomin' awful stories that we have had to indulge in, you can do so and it's available now. And of course, as well, we also have an additional option to be able to keep keep an eye on us and keep followed on Patreon. We're not looking for any money for additional content and such, it's purely just a way to have a long-term audio archive solution. You can search for that at patreon.com slash starscreamsghost. Andy, before we wrap up, anything else you would like to impart on our wonderful audience? no no i think um yeah depending on this this comes out merry christmas happy new year hope you had a good christmas or new year delete as applicable (laughs) i echo that sentiment as well folks thank you very much for listening and or watching until next time from myself jeremy Graves. from him mr andy hanley we've been starscream's ghost of transformers podcast take care and speak to you next year bye everyone